Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. We've got the All-Star to discuss. And also, they released the second half of the season. So we need to talk about what we're looking forward to there. Blake Griffin is going to the Nets. You're joining DeAndre Jordan. And then we want to talk about our mid-season awards and everybody's favorite segment, What's the Verdict? But first, All-Star Review. New format this year with a few of the events. Let's talk about the winner of the game and uh, who won MVP and also the individual competitions. So starting with the game, Team LeBron just came out and purely dominated. LeBron is now 4-0 and in All-Star events. The All-Star format, similar to last year, uh, each quarter could be won by the respective teams. And then depending on the overall score at the end, teams the highest score had 24 points added to it in uh, honor of Kobe Bryant. And the game was played to the end with Dame Lillard, of course, hitting the final clutch shot. What do you think of the game? What do you think of the format this year? I think that the format is definitely exciting. Um, it's building off what they had last season. And I think that the format is really fun for fans to just switch it up and give every quarter a little bit more meaning. We know that over the years, the All-Star game had kind of become a little bit like of an exhibition. Um, you'd watch the game to see the star power, but you wouldn't really see much of a competitive level played on the court. Teams didn't really seem to care who won or lost. Um, and it seems after they introduced the Kobe Bryant element to it, a lot of the players have been playing with more motivation and you can see it in the games. It's just been more competitive game overall. And I think it's been really fun for the fans. So I think it's great for them. And overall, the game was pretty fun this year. Um, it was unfortunate that there was a lot of players that we would have liked to see in it that weren't able to play because of either injury or having to miss it because of COVID protocol. But overall, it was a pretty fun game. I think most of us probably figured that LeBron's team would win. He had a, a better roster on paper. Durant couldn't play. He was the best player on the other team. And uh, he also had Embiid miss, which was one of his top picks and starters. So it seemed like they were a little bit undermanned. Devin Booker couldn't play. But the game was great, especially for Giannis, all-star game MVP, 16 for 16 from the field. Perfect game for Giannis Antetokounmpo, 35 points. And we have Chris Paul set the record, most assists in an all-star game with 16, finished with 26 and 16. So overall, very impressive performances for Team LeBron. Yeah, I thought it was uh, a very good game overall. Um, it was fun. It was exciting to watch. Seemed like to start the game, you could throw a pass to Zion anywhere, even remotely close to the rim, and he was going to throw it down. He had a couple misses, but everybody was just, hey, young fella, throw that down. Um, Giannis could not miss. I remember uh, when he was, I think, 15 and 15 or 14 and 14, he launched a three. And all the announcers were like, no, because it looked so trash. And it bricked off the backboard into the hoop. And they're like, <laughs> OK, yes, yes. And even um, he threw his hands up. He didn't even yeah. expect it to go in. Yeah, so uh, so that was that was awesome. And Chris Paul, yeah, he broke the record for assists in a game, but then also passed Magic Johnson for assists overall in All-Star games. I think the record was. Uh, 128 and Chris Paul at 124. Um, so he's the plant there for that record as well. So good game. I agree with you that I think the format is great and I think it's here to stay, uh, at least for the short term. Uh, the fans definitely needed, I think, some variety and something to spice it up. So 
fun question here. If you could add one thing to this format to even spice it up further, what would it be? Ooh, one thing to spice it up even further. Hmm. So I guess for me, anything that's going to increase the level of competitiveness of the game is something that I would be down for. And seeing as at this, this all-star game, um, people really wanted to show off their ability to shoot from deep range. We saw Curry and Lillard pull up consistently from way deep, which we'll get into later, but they weren't the only ones attempting to flash from deep. There were a lot of players attempting to pull up from way outside the normal because it is the all-star game and you want to make a flashy shot. I think that it'd be cool if just for the all-star game, they added a four point shot in the second half. It would give the other team a little bit more of a chance to get back into the game if they're getting blown out. And it would give a little bit more value to those super long range pull-ups that teams are trying to pull up for. I doubt the league would ever do it because it's, it is something that has been floated around um, adding a four point shot and it's been met with heavy resistance. So I don't know that it'll be added, but it would be fun to see players pulling up from the range that they are and getting rewarded for it. And it might make the games a little bit closer if one team is getting beat pretty badly and needs to get in it in a hurry. Four point shot would definitely be a way to do that. Yeah, I like that one. Um, I think that'd be cool, even for the whole game. Um, my one that I think would be cool is second half, if you're the losing team, um, you get to take somebody from the other team that's not the captain and trade your worst player for that person at halftime. You know, that would make for some great media storylines, too, about who, mm -hmm. oh, LeBron decided to trade Mike Conley. He hates the Jazz. Yeah. So, <laughs> that'd be I think, I think that'd be, uh, be interesting. But, anyways, moving on to the individual competitions. Three-point competition was everything that I expected it to be and more. Um, I thought Steph was going to put on a clinic. And he did, and even from a media perspective, uh, hit the money ball at the end just enough to eke by uh, Mike Conley for the win. So expected Steph to win, he did win. And then the dunk contest, as expected, was an absolute dud. I hope that they learn this time that they cannot just have three people who aren't historically good dunkers because all those guys are young. All those guys have not done a lot of in-game dunks. So all of the nerves and the pressure of putting on a performance and showing off, none of them did that. Um, and so I was very disappointed with the dunk contest. And I don't really care for the skill challenge, but it was cool to see the big men win. And Kenny Smith and Dwayne Wade have a lot of problems with the big men win. Yeah, to be honest with you, I had said it in the last podcast, I didn't think any of these guys belonged in a dunk contest. They're not stars. If you're not a star, you don't belong at our star weekend. And I think that, like you said, the, uh, the dunk contest was a massive disappointment. Um, as much as the kissing the rim dunk may be appealing and cool, it's not anything that is really game-changing or revolutionary or but something like things that we've seen before. He didn't really get there. He still made the he still made the face like he actually did it, which was annoying. Yeah. But it, it was just. There was nothing memorable about it. Not the As players, not the said, dunks. Kenny Smith said yesterday, he said, put a couple mouth guards on 
jump up there and kiss that rim. Because if you kiss the rim, you're breaking the internet. And he didn't kiss the rim. He didn't kiss the rim. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And then for and the skills like challenge. three or something. He's super <laughs> short to like be jumping that high. So he totally could have kissed the rim. He was afraid of his like mouth getting messed up. That's what I would imagine. But storyline from there is that it now gives the Blazers unofficially the best dunking team in the league. They have two of the last two slam dunk winners now with Derek Jones Jr. on the roster as well. So, I mean, that's about all you can say. And then for the skills challenge, DeMontis Sabonis wins it, continuing the surprising trend of big men winning the skills challenge. So uh, definitely not what I expected. Yeah, it's just not what I expected. I thought Doncic was definitely going to take it. But, um, you know, you got to give credit to Sabonis. He was having a pretty good year, and I think he surprised a lot of people. So it's good for him. It's bad when the skills challenge has better star power than the dunk contest. Yeah, definitely. I think every, every event in All-Star Weekend should have stars. That's just my opinion on it. Yeah. Well, moving on, uh, looking forward to the second half of the season. I want to talk about essentially the top three matches you're looking forward to to the second half of the season. And we'll, we'll start there and then we can get into me who we think is going to have the best and worst halves of the season. Mm. Honestly, for me, I'm really looking forward to see the full strength Nets play the Lakers. I can't wait to watch that matchup because I haven't seen a vintage LeBron versus Durant duel in a really long time. And I would love to watch that happen. Um, it would be a good preview for maybe the finals even because I think a lot of people are expecting these two teams are the favorites in the East and the West. And I think that, I mean, for me personally, I can't even remember the last time I've seen Durant play now. The Nets have been winning a bunch of games without him. I think that when he comes back, he's going to want to have a big game or um, he's going he's to have a big second half whenever he does return. And I think he's going to be very motivated to show up big against his biggest rival. So definitely excited to see the fireworks for that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. I'm also looking forward to the Battle of L.A. Uh, with the full-strength teams there. Um, also seeing L.A. Uh, Clippers versus the Brooklyn Nets, I think. Um, that'll also be exciting. Um, I'm also looking forward to uh, seeing the, the Suns versus the Trailblazers. I think both of those teams are sleeper teams because they're not the teams that everybody is talking about in the West. Uh, in terms of the two LA teams, the Nuggets, um, and I, I think that both of those teams uh, are are definitely deserving and have great talent. Um, so I think it'll be fun to see them battle it out as well. Yeah, another important thing for the second half it's going to be whether Anthony Davis returns or not. That may affect my pick for game because if Anthony Davis doesn't return. I'm completely sure that it won't be competitive and the Nets will probably obliterate the Lakers. So I just feel like without Anthony Davis, this team is going to start to see some problems in the second half if Anthony Davis returns later than sooner. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's not a situation like the Brooklyn Nets. They don't have, like LeBron can only do so much and they're also in the West, which is more difficult conference. Um, so, yeah, ho hopefully he does come back. Um, 
because they're going to need him to make the, the playoff push. Luckily, they have a little bit of cushion with their uh, third seed right now, but Clippers, Trailblazers, Nuggets, they're all very, very close to being able to jump over them. So you don't want to get stuck uh, in a poor seeding in the Western Conference for sure. Definitely not. But looking into that second half and the projections for teams, who do you think is slated to have a good second half? And who do you think is slated to have a rough second half? Yeah, so I'm going to go east-west here. Uh, and to start with the people who I'm expecting to have a better second half, um, I'm going to go with a team that's like below the fifth seed. And then conversely, I'm going to pick the team who's in like a top seed that I think will have like more of a regression in the second half. Um, so starting with the East, who I think is going to have a better second half, um, I think it's two teams. I think the Chicago Bulls and the Miami Heat are both going to have better second halves. Um, the Heat just need to be over 500 to have a better second half. I think that they're finally starting to get all of their pieces together, but every single game they're missing a star. If Jimmy Butler sits out, then Bam's playing. If Bam's not playing, then Tyler's not playing. If Tyler's not playing, then Bam's not playing. And so th there's just been so many times where they're not at full strength and they're having now this nice week or 10 day break. Um, so I think that right now in their last 10, they're seven and three. They've slowly shown improvement with all their pieces coming back. So I think they're going to have a better second half and make it to the four seed. The Bulls right now are sitting in the ninth seed. Uh, similar to the Heat, they have an over 500 record for the last 10 games of six and four. And I think Levine is just continuing to gain confidence, gain confidence, and he's going to make the guys around him gain confidence. So I think that they're going to end up uh, definitely making it into the playoff, but potentially getting a hold of that six or seven seed uh, with their play. Um, with the West, I think teams are going to turn around the second half. Uh, I think Golden State is definitely going to make it to the playoffs, and I think that they're going to continue to uh, like get better as the season goes on. They're one game over 500 right now, but Seth Curry's just been having a monstrous season, um, and I think that Kelly Uber started the season very rough. I think that James Weissman has had very like soft hands, and he's been very introspectively critical of himself, but also has great teammates in Draymond that have been coaching him throughout. So I think they're going to be uh, better for the second half of the season. And then the Mavericks, similarly, I think that they'll continue to, uh, to, to grow as the season goes on. Hopefully, Porzingis is healthy uh, going into the second half of the season, or even maybe they trade him. But I think Dallas is going to be somebody who's a definite buyer at the trade deadline um, because they're going to be making this playoff push, and they're eight and two in the last ten. So, those are the teams that I have uh, improving. Um, who, who do you have improving, and then we can talk about who we think is going to regress or get worse. Um, for me personally, I liked your pick of the Miami Heat improving. I think that's a pretty good selection, but I think the Celtics definitely are a team to watch for the second half. Um, right now, the Celtics are sitting at fourth in the East, but their record is nineteen and seventeen. I think most people would agree that they have much more talent than a team that is 19 and 17. Um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been having great seasons individually up to this point. And I think that they just need for Kemba Walker to get into a groove and elevate his game. And I do expect them to make a second half addition to bolster the roster 
So I expect the Celtics to have a better second half and become more competitive and start to draw closer to that top three in the East. Um, for the West, a team that I expect to improve is the Dallas Mavericks. I know that the Mavericks right now are eighth seed, 18 and 16. I think they can definitely be better than that, especially with Porzingis getting more consistent minutes and getting reintegrated into the rotation. He missed a ton of games early in the season. And let's be real, the Mavericks roster outside of Kristaps Porzingis and Luka Doncic, they don't really have a guy who can consistently score. Tim Hardaway Jr. is a good scorer, one out of every three games. And Josh Richardson can be counted on to knock down an open jumper, but they can't be counted on to take on an offensive load every game. I think having Kristaps Porzingis back is going to take off a lot from Luka Doncic and allow the team to do much better and develop more defined roles once he's in there. So those are my two picks for improvements. Who do you got regressing? Yeah, so this is definitely going to be unpopular opinion, but I think that it's just it's difficult to keep up this level of play throughout the entire season. So I have both of the one seeds regressing. I think you've already seen signs of it with the Utah Jazz. Um, they obviously are a very elite team, and they've been doing extremely well, but I see them regressing. Good news with them, I see them regressing in terms of not having the same uh, 75% win percentage. Um, and they can still hold on to the number one seed because I think the Suns are going to be good, but they're not going to supplant them for the number one seed. And I don't see any of the LA teams also being that good to, to supplant them. So I think that they can regress and they still are going to hold on to that one seed. On the flip side, though, I see the 76ers uh, regressing and allowing the Nets and the Bucks to pass them so that they're sitting at the three seed. So um, I, I think the 76ers, they've had a great start to the season. Um, I just, I can't see them maintaining that uh, for the second half of the season, especially with, I think, these Eastern teams, like we've talked about, getting better and, um, you know, potentially beating the 76ers here and there. Um, so those are the two teams, again, by unpopular opinion that I expect to regress a bit. For me personally, I hate to be uh, that guy that's always picking on the Knicks, but <laughs> I am. The thing is, I mean, I just, I can't believe it. Like, I cannot believe that the Knicks will finish fifth. I just can't. They're sitting at fifth right now. I know it's only 19 and 18, so it's not like they're like a dominant fifth but or anything like that. they the runner up of the dunk competition, man. Come on. <laughs> not only. They do have an all-star now. <laughs> so they do have an all-star. So who knows? But, you know, I will give them their credit. I did originally pick them to not even make the playoffs at all. I am giving them the opportunity to make the playoffs now, mostly because of my lack of faith in the rest of the East, more so than the confidence I have in the Knicks. But I definitely don't expect them to finish fifth. I think that they're going to squeak in at a lower seed. I don't think that they're the fifth best team in this conference. And I think that even... If the Heat just improve marginally, they're already out of the fifth. So I think it's a pretty easy pick to say that they won't finish there. And then for the West, for me, this really does come down to Anthony Davis. But if he continues to miss games, I don't see the Lakers finishing third either. I think that the Clippers would supplant them. 
And you never know about the Blazers. They're only one game back. They might still crawl in there. They've been playing a ton of games without CJ McCollum. So they haven't even had their second best player. So they can still rise up. A healthy Blazers team might be a little bit more competitive than a hobbled Lakers team. So I don't think that the Lakers are going to take a massive drop off and tailspin because they still do have a pretty talented roster overall. But without Anthony Davis, yeah, they have a really good defense. But that's that's a lot of times, though, a factor of Anthony Davis. He does a lot for you in the defensive end. So if you don't have Anthony Davis in, it actually does change the complexion of that team completely. So if he doesn't come back, I expect him to drop out of the third. Yeah, fair points. So moving on to our Blake Griffin deal. Blake Griffin agrees to a deal with the New York Nets, loses a ton of money, agrees to go with it all. It's over. It's over. Talk about Blake Griffin. Did you know that Blake Griffin, former dunk contest champ, has yet to dunk this season? I'm pretty sure I haven't dunked in like two years. That is insane. He's 6'10". How can you not have a single dunk? He doesn't even have to jump that high. I wonder if for him it's like a... I don't want to be typecast as that and then not be able to have those hammer dunks anymore. But somebody's got to tell him, like, yo, you need you need to have a putback dunk. Like He needs LeBron to stop is, spotting up at the three-point line. He's not a three-point shooter. He needs to stop spotting up. I feel like he's like, well, all the power forwards are doing it, so like, I need I need to show that I'm a stretch four instead of staying with his game. I'm sure if he was coached and told by his people, yo, do what you do best, which is play with your back to the rim, dribble into the base, turn around, hook shot, lay it up. Maybe make a kick out to an actual prolific three-point shooter and yam it on some people sometimes. Um, he would probably still be an all-star. He's 31. There's no way that he cannot still dunk. No way. He's he's 31 years old, but he's playing like he's 40. I, I have no idea. Like basically, if you if you're basically asking me what impact he will have on the Nets and whether this is a, a newsworthy signing, I would say no. This is not a newsworthy signing. He is not going to do anything, I don't think, to help the Nets. I think he's going to be an addition that they make to see what he's got because it's a low-risk signing that's not costing them much. And if it doesn't pan out, it's not like you're stuck with him long-term. I think the they're just signing way, him to see. The only way this is an impact signing is if he's been misused in Detroit for the last three years. If he's see, the been thing, misused though, is, in Detroit then it's a great sign. I just don't think it's misuse. I think that he just no longer has the physical ability to have functional athleticism on the basketball court. I think that his knees are destroyed. I think that it literally hurts him to jump. I think that for him, he's a pretty big guy. He's pretty heavy. I don't even know how many knee surgeries he's had at this point. He's had multiple on both. This guy looks like a guy that he cannot jump anymore because it literally hurts him too. I, I don't think that he has the physical ability to play a forward position in the NBA anymore. So, or any position really, because 
he's not fast enough to be a perimeter player and he's also now not strong enough to be an interior player or vertical enough to be an interior player. So I really don't know what he can give them. It doesn't seem that he, at this point in his career, can do anything on a basketball court at a serviceable level. So I expect him to not do anything. Well, we'll see what happens there. I did notice, though, he could have signed with, uh, I think Golden State is the team that has the highest um, disabled player exception right now. They have like $9 million to spend. And he signed with the Nets for the vet min, not even for one of the split disabled player exceptions that they have for uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, which would be a little north of $5 million. So I have to assume they're holding that for Andre Drummond. I think. I would imagine everyone is trying to make him an offer. You know he's coming available soon. Yeah, but I feel like for him, it's going to be a product of his agents going to talk to the teams that are sitting with that like 9.8 with Golden State or 5.3 with the Nets. And then the buyout talks with the Cavs are probably going to be for whatever that number is. That's what I'll give up from the Cavs to then get from the Nets so that they just give him the difference and he basically makes him the same amount of money. So, yeah, Drummond will be an interesting addition. I think Drummond, too, for his situation, is probably going to be looking for a team that is willing to keep him long term because I know that it may be surprising to hear, but he is actually only 27. He looks like he's 35, but and he seems like he's been in the league forever. We've known this guy's name for I don't know how long now. It seems like he's been in the league for 10 years, but he's only 27. So you're Andre Drummond. You probably, at, at that age, you're hoping that the next team that you go to is one that you can still give your prime to on a stable situation, on a long-term deal. So I would imagine he would rather, instead of just going to a team on a rental, go to a team that has visions of using him in a long-term game plan rather than just a plug-and-play guy. Yeah. Um, is there anyone outside of Drummond that you feel might be moving to a new team next via buyout or trade? Honestly, I kept saying Jeremy Grant, but it seems like he's not going to move. It seems like for whatever reason, he's not available, um, even though he definitely should be. Um, outside of him, a player that I would be watching to move outside of the obvious Kevin Love, who's been a constant rumor to be moved every trade deadline now for like seemingly the last three years. But um, I think Larry Nance Jr. actually is such an under the radar name that is a very attractive target to many teams. I think that he would help a lot of teams with what he brings. He's not like a star player by any means, but he's still pretty young. He's 28 years old. He's a solid rebounder with plus athleticism. He's a decent three-point shooter. He can at least make you go guard him out there. You have to go defend him out there. Um, and he's a player that you can count on to defend multiple positions. And he likely wouldn't cost you that much because no one really even cares about Larry Nance that much at this point. But I know that a lot of teams are looking at this guy and thinking, hmm, if I strike out on my first option, Larry Nance Jr. is someone that I might want as a consolation prize. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him move. Yeah, I think um, that that's a good choice. The person I have moving is Kyle Lowry. I think he goes to the Clippers and the Sun Sixers. Um, I think 
He's on an expiring deal now. He's still, he's older, uh, he's 34, but I think the home ties to Philadelphia or the Kawhi Ibaka ties to uh, the Clippers, I have him moving um, by the trade deadline. The Raptors, while they're good, I think they realize they're not going to be finals champions right now with the team that they have, but they have a great young nucleus. Fred Van Vliet is showing that he's worth every penny of his contract. Um, and so I think that they opt to go to one of those teams and say, hey, give us a pick or two and uh, throw us some expiring contracts or a young player our way and uh, we'll get those ties. Yeah, the only, I mean, I, I can see him being moved, but I just find it complicated to predict where he's going to go just because if you're the Raptors, you obviously want to get something back for him. You don't want to trade yeah. him for nothing. But I don't think the Clippers have assets. I think Udri is the type of GM similar to Sam Presti to go to these guys and say, where do you want to go? Because you've done right by me. Like, I don't think he's going to be like, we're going to send you to the Oklahoma City Thunder because that they decided to give us two draft picks for you. Um, I, I think that he's going to have a talk with Kyle, like, hey, where are the two or three teams you want to go to? because you've been such a professional and you helped win us a championship. So um, I, I think that Udri, that Sam Presti, R.C. Buford are all types of GMs that have that sort of relationship with the players to say, if you want to go somewhere, let me help get you there. Um, because like, I don't, we're building a culture here of like making sure that we take care of our guys and they take care of us, that there's just that familial bond forever. Yeah, I mean, if you're Kyle Lowry, you definitely hope that that's the case. If you're a Raptors fan, you hope you get some assets, but I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, moving on to our mid-season awards. Uh, Want to start, we'll actually start from uh, most improved player, then coach of the year, rookie of the year, then MVP. So. For most improved player, who you got right now? Honestly, this one is so hard. There are so many players that have taken big leaps this year. But I guess for me, I'd probably have to go ahead and give it to Jalen Brown, if I'm being honest with you. Zach Levine was someone that was on my mind. Zion Williamson even. There's a couple others. Um, Christian Wood, obviously, would be the most obvious pick for it if he were eligible but he's missed so many games that I don't think he'll get it but um I think Jalen Brown is the guy for me just because he's the only guy that I can think of in my mind that he jumped a tier completely from where he was last year to this year from like star to potentially superstar level type player I think that now Jalen Brown if you're like looking at players that you would start a franchise around he is now a guy that you can say can be a centerpiece for a franchise and you can say it confidently and i think that that's something that you couldn't probably say last year last year you were probably more of like uh i think jalen brown is a really good second star this year jalen brown shows that he could be your number one guy and you can give him that kind of burden and that kind of load and he can handle it he's an elite defender on both and he plays on both ends of the court. He's an elite defender and an elite offensive player. Um, very efficient shooter, no weaknesses to his game. 
He's basically come in as a player who had a lot of question marks about his shooting ability, his ability to create offense, um, and what he would be able to contribute on that end, just being a high motor defensive guy to someone now who has no weaknesses pretty much in his game. He's pretty much at least above average or average in every aspect. So that's a huge credit to him. So I'd, I'd pick Jalen Brown. Well, you took my pick, so I, I don't I don't have anybody else there. I think he's definitely going to win it. And similar to you, I think if Christian Wood would have played in more games, he would also uh, potentially be a lock to win it. Um, I guess the only other person is like Jeremy Grant has really come into his own on the Pistons. So um, he could potentially be a, a runner-up or in good place for that. Um, I, for coach of the year, have Quinn Snyder taking it. Uh, he has done an excellent job with that Jazz team, and everybody talks about him so highly. So I think for coach of the year, he's similarly uh, in a lock position for them. Yeah, I mean, Quinn Snyder, obviously a very popular pick. How can you not? Um, outside of Quinn Snyder, the other guy that I was maybe looking at would be the coach of the Phoenix Suns. Monty the Phoenix, Williams. yeah, Monty Williams. Monty Williams, honestly, has been in Phoenix for a while now. He's a player's coach. A lot of people love Monty, but it seems every year he's just never had quite enough to make it to the playoffs and compete. This year, his team has taken a massive leap. They added Chris Paul and they added Jay Crowder, but his team has basically seemingly found a new culture and I think Monty Williams was instrumental in getting the guys integrated and developing a game plan that best utilizes everyone's talent and getting everyone to buy in with some young guys playing vital roles, um, getting the most out of his veteran players. He's a guy that if the Suns keep playing at the pace they're at and they finish in the second, he could be someone that's in the conversation for coach of the year as well. Yeah, that's a that's a fair point. Good for Monty. I know he dealt with a lot of adversity several years ago with his wife passing, but um, you know he's being on the hot seat coach. a couple seasons too. Yeah, I mean he's but he's got Chris Paul now back with him, and he's um, he, you know spent a couple years as an assistant coach, and now he's doing really well with that young team over in Phoenix, and um, you know, happy for him. Uh, moving on to Rookie of the Year. Who do you have there? I think this one's a runaway award. Yeah, honestly, I think you're asking me on purpose to make me feel bad about having said that I didn't think LaMelo Ball was going to be very good. But, yeah, I think if you don't pick LaMelo Ball. He's listening Ball, to the pod because every year or every week he's getting better and better. So he's probably like, let me show these guys. <laughs> I got to give it to him, man. He's been really impressive this year. He has basically been everything that Lonzo Ball was supposed to be. So, and more. And more. He basically is everything that LaVar thought Lonzo was going to be. So I got to give him a lot of credit. How can you pick anyone else? He's leading all rookies in points, rebounds, and assists. I mean, that's it. Like, he's the rookie of the year. No matter yeah. what happens in the second half, I think, I don't, I don't see a way that anyone can catch up. Um, I think that he's been very impressive, especially since moving into the starting lineup. His stat line since moving into the starting lineup has been absurd. 19.7 points per game, six assists, six rebounds. 
on 48% shooting in his last 10. If he can keep it up for the rest of the year, his numbers would basically be like considerable for an all-star if he were to continue that pace into the second half. So lots of, uh, lots of props to him to be able to do that so early in his development, especially for a guy that many people, even like myself, have said probably was never going to be able to consistently score the ball. He has been pretty solid in that aspect. So good for him. Yeah, no, he's, he's been doing excellent. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's just cool to see, especially cause like, I think people had doubts with him going to Lithuania then going to New Zealand, then playing the league. Um, he wasn't going to come in and do that well. And he's proved everybody wrong. So whatever the reasons were for him going overseas, definitely panned out. Yep, 100%. All right, moving on to MVP. This one <laughs> is a little bit more tricky and a, a bit more murky. Um, I think it will be a big man for sure. Um, but I still have Jokic winning because he's played, I think, in all of the games or most of the games that Denver has played. Embiid has missed six games, and I think Embiid will continue to miss at least a few other games in the second half. That he's number one in player efficiency rating. The last, I think, 10 years, there's only been one player who hasn't won that has been number one, and they were number three. Um, and on top of that, Jokic's stat lines, um, I think the only thing he's lacking as compared to Jok uh, Embiid and Giannis is he has fewer points, but he has 8.6 assists and it's way more than those other two guys while having equal rebounding numbers and is in the 40-50 uh, club as well in terms of three-point field goal percentage. So, and he's almost at the 40-50-90 club. So, Jokic has just been so efficient and is doing so, I, I feel, at ease. Um, so, I, I think he's, he's going to win it. How about you? Honestly, man, I think that you're spot on with uh, the two guys that you mentioned. I think it's going to come down to either Embiid or Jokic. And it's really hard to say which one of those guys is going to get it. Because like you said, they are very comparable in a lot of metrics. Um, the player efficiency rating thing, yes. Uh, Nikola Jokic does have the highest PER right now, but it's only by like a fraction of a point. Joel Embiid is right there, right behind him. So it really comes down to what you value more. Joel Embiid is going to be the guy who's your better scorer for sure. But Jokic is not too far behind. You're not really losing much. And I think at this point, both of them are people that you have to guard from three-point range. They shoot similar percentages from out there. They're both somehow over 40% from three. They're both somehow over 50% from the field and 40% from three as a big man. That's nuts. And both are shooting over 80% from the free throw line. So excellent efficiency all around. Um, it's just been incredible to watch. But I think that the, the main difference and what it's going to come down to is Joel Embiid is probably a, a much bigger difference maker than Jokic is on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that that may have to do with why the record is better for the 76ers. I think that they're a better defensive team than the Nuggets are. And a lot of that has to do with Embiid just shutting down the paint 
and taking away easy buckets inside. As Jokic has become a better defender over the years, and he's at this point considered um, a positive contributor on that end, but I don't think anyone would say that Jokic is a defensive player of the year candidate. Joel Embiid legitimately might be in the conversation for both, for defensive player of the year and MVP. So I think that's what it comes down to. Um, in the end, the winner is probably going to be the team that has the better record if it's substantially different. If you're talking about a difference of four games or more, it'll probably be the guy whose record is better. And I think that Embiid's team is going to have an easier road to getting there. So I think that maybe Embiid ultimately ends up winning his first MVP unless the Nuggets can climb into that top three in the West. Or if the Bucks climb to the number one seed and Giannis just continues to dominate, he could win his third MVP. So he could sneak back in there. It's true. He could he could sneak in. He's not far behind the other guys either. All right. Time for everyone's favorite segment. What's the verdict? I will ask you a couple of questions and you will respond whether they are guilty or innocent. Ready to go? Let's do it. All right. Five players. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and Zach Levine are currently scoring 27 plus points per game and are in the 50, 45, and 85% club. That's field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and free throw percentage, respectively. What's the verdict on all five finishing the season with this amazing stat line? Guilty for all five, or one will instantly slip away? Um, honestly, honestly, I really don't see that they're all five going to do it, not because they're not all great players, but just because the statistical numbers to the percentages are just so unlikely that all five are going to keep it up. Because the thing is, it's not like these guys are all solidly above those percentages. It's like by a hair. Like for example, Nikola Jokic is at 27.1 points per game. So just a small dip in, in shooting can bring him below that. If you look at his three point percentage, 41%, he could theoretically fall below that with just a maddest drop and still be shooting elite numbers. So, and that's just one example of one guy. It's not that I'm picking on Jokic because I think he's the most likely to not do it, but all five of these guys all doing this, I think it would actually be history if it happened. So I'm going to have to go ahead and say, no, I don't think that they'll all do it and be able to keep all of those numbers up with the same shooting efficiencies. Well, I'm just going to counter you and say all five are going to make it. Well, we're going to see some history made. That's, that's the type of year we're having, history in 2021. All right, moving on. Damian Lillard hit another clutch shot before All-Star break, making that his 29th go-ahead shot, which is higher than the next best player at 22. Is Dame the clutchest player in the league? And better yet, is Dame the clutchest player ever? Well, in my opinion, he is definitely the clutchest player in the league. I don't even know if you can argue it at this point. He's definitely got the most game-winning highlights of any player. Not that I'm saying that's the ultimate measure or anything like that, but the thing is Damian Lillard has shown time and time again in the regular season, in the playoffs, against multiple different teams. It doesn't matter who he's playing, who's guarding him, bigger guy, smaller guy. He's hit a game-winning shot under seemingly every kind of circumstance that you can imagine. And it just seems that he's never scared to take that shot. He wants it. He relishes it. And if you notice, most of the time when he hits that shot, he never celebrates the shot after it goes in. He always looks like he knew the whole time 
that it was going to go in and he's not surprised that it did because I don't think that he is. He even made Paul George come out and admit that the whole bad shot thing where Paul George said, I don't care if he makes that game winner, it's a bad shot. Paul George actually came back and said, you know what? After seeing the amount of game winning shots he's hit since that shot, I've seen that shot like five times. So I guess it is a good shot if it's Damian Lillard. Literally came out and admitted it. He has range from half court. He can pull up from anywhere and be a threat to knock it down. So I think that makes him the most elite clutch shooter, but the most elite of all time, Jordan, you can't be the most clutch player of all time if you don't have any rings. So I think that disqualifies him from the historic debate. But um, Jordan, number one, loaded for right now for my game winning shot. I agree with you on that. Some quick facts on Lillard this season. When it's non-clutch times, he is 43% from the field, 36% from three, 92% from free throw. In clutch minutes, he goes from 43 to 61% from the field, from 36 to 60% from three, and he's 100% from the line. So out of this world in clutch time. Yeah, I don't think that there's anyone that could be close. The other thing that's so crazy about it, too, is the, the percentages. The fact that he can hit clutch shots at such a high rate, such a high field goal percentage is mind-blowing because Kobe Bryant, somebody that was widely regarded as a very clutch player, he didn't shoot anywhere close to these field goal percentages in clutch time. So, I mean, that just goes to show you how clutch Damian Lillard is. Yeah, well, speaking of him, him and Steph last night each pulled up from way downtown on consecutive uh, possessions in the All-Star game to show off their range with, who else, Damian Lillard closing out the game from half court. Curry may be widely considered the best shooter ever and won the three-point contest last night, but does he have a better deep three than Lillard? Guilty if he does, innocent if he doesn't. Does he have a better deep three than Lillard? Honestly, this really comes down to what you define as the better deep three. We saw last night Curry pulled up from just after half court, right after Lillard pulled up from literally behind half court. Lillard actually hit a three from behind the half court line, which was insane. But if we actually look at the numbers and we define a long three as a three that is greater than 30 feet, and we're looking at by those metrics, you'd have to give the edge probably overall to Stephen Curry. If we're looking at the raw numbers, we see that Stephen Curry puts up 3.73s a game from 30 to 34 feet. And he actually knocks down 1.7 of those. So 45% on such shots, which is pretty incredible. Damian Lillard, on the other hand, he only attempts 1.8 a game from that distance. And he knocks down about 0.6 of them. So still pretty respectable numbers at 34%, but not quite as good as Curry. What is a little bit more interesting, though, is that if you look at the range from 35 to 39 feet, the extra deep three, Curry doesn't even attempt those in game, apparently. He hasn't hit a single one or even attempted a shot like that, whereas Damian Lillard has occasionally ventured that far and actually knocked down half of those. So on a very low volume, but... Theoretically, Damian Lillard shoots it from even further than uh, Stephen Curry does. It's just that Curry is probably a higher percentage shooter. 
Yeah, so it sounds like Steph is more consistent with it, but Dame definitely has that same range overall. Well, that's it for the segment. That's it for the show. Court of Opinion, I'm Eric Gonzalez. Mike's there. Court is adjourned. All right.